Well, welcome to Grace Wave Baptist Church and our Sunday School Hour. We're going to present this lesson on December the 11th, 2022. Now, as we've been uh, finishing up the life of Daniel and we're looking at his time in prayer, remember he's been looking in the uh, prophet Jeremiah's writings, the book of Jeremiah, we would say. And as he is reading through that, he comes to the understanding that the exile is just about to be over. And as Daniel has looked at this, we saw last time that he was amazed at the mercy of God. And you know, we may look and say, wow, 70 years is a long time. And the exile was pretty severe, and it was. But Daniel would look at it more and say, yeah, but the depth of our sin and the length of our sin and the number of our sins, because all Israel was involved in it, Daniel was amazed that it wasn't 500 years of exile or maybe a permanent judgment of God where they would never come back into the land. Now that feeds into what we're going to talk about today because I want you to understand that when God disciplines His children, and He does because the book of Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that uh, whom the Lord loves... He chastens or disciplines. And you know, another word for that could be corrects. Another word that could be used there in discipline is training or to train for something. Now we understand that uh, when we think of it even in terms of the English word. When we talk about discipline, we may talk about somebody who, uh, well, let's say that they lose weight. And we ask them, how did you lose that 50 pounds? And they said, well, I just disciplined myself to eat. And then they tell us what they ate and what they only ate and that they didn't cheat. And we say, oh, what a disciplined person. We can talk about a person who is very structured in their routine. They get up at the same time every morning. They exercise, they eat, they get ready for work and all of that, we say, oh, they are very disciplined about what they do. We can think about it in terms of what a parent might do. This child got in trouble and uh, their parents disciplined the child. Or we can think about it in terms of uh, training, in terms of um, uh, maybe a sport or a musical instrument, or something like that. You want to learn how to do it, or learning a language maybe, and you just work on it every single day, going over the things you already know, and then adding to it, learning something new. All of those, we use the same English word for discipline. So whenever you think about the discipline of the Lord, think about those terms, and think about what they can mean. The Lord is not simply just punishing us and he's not simply just venting because he's upset he is upset and he does hate sin but he is doing a whole lot more than just simply uh, making us pay or taking it out of our hide so to speak and so uh, the idea here is correction now we looked last week and we said that sometimes when we think of the discipline mercy seems the furthest thing from it but it is always there. God is merciful. And in the same way, it seems like God is going to kill us. It seems like we are never going to make it out of the discipline of God. It's miserable. And uh, what, what is he trying to do? 
destroy me? Well, that must have been what Israel and Judah thought when they went into exile into the nations that were around them. Is God destroying us? Is the covenant over? Is his relationship finished with us? No, he was just correcting them. And he did a good job, by the way, because the Jews never fell into idolatry again. They had other problems and other sins, like when Jesus was on earth, a lot of problems with self-righteousness, we know, but not idolatry. They got the word, they got the message on all of that because God had corrected them. So um, we will take a look at our text first, the verses we're going to look at, and that is in Daniel chapter 9, and we'll look at verses 13 through 15. Let's begin reading in 13. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that it might turn, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Did you see that? Whenever you see the word that in Scripture, it is usually a purpose clause, okay? And so he said, all of this has happened, and yet we didn't make our prayer before God. What was the purpose of going to God in prayer? That we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. You remember uh, when you were a little kid, you asked the question a lot of your parents, especially when they wouldn't let you do something or they wanted you to do something you didn't want to do, and you would go, why? Why? And they would say, because I said so, that's why. And uh, that may be okay when a kid is little. I can remember um, one of my parenting philosophies, and Sammy was on board with this, was I wanted, uh, for example, when Taylor was two, my idea was if he were running into the street and I said, stop, I wanted him to freeze. We could talk about it later. We could explain it later. But at that point, I didn't want a little two-year-old or a three-year-old running out in the street and I say, stop. And they go, why, Daddy? Explain it to me. Give me a good reason why I need to do this and then get hit by a car or something. And so there are those times when simply sheer authority is just enough. That's the way it's got to be because... Little children are not always capable of understanding. They don't know why they shouldn't stick a fork in an electrical outlet or play with power tools or matches or anything like that. They just need to know, because I said so is enough for you. But as they begin to grow, it's time to start telling them why and explaining them some things because they're not always going to be little kids that you're watching over and your I said so thing is going to be enough. You've got to explain to them and teach them to think and help them to understand that what you were doing is not simply to be mean or to take away their fun. You're trying to protect them and you are also wanting them to understand because you're teaching them because they're going to be on their own one of these days. They're going to be a parent, perhaps, one of these days. Or they're going to be responsible for somebody else, maybe in a job situation, those type of things. And so we want them to have understanding. And even the book of Proverbs talks about getting wisdom and with it getting understanding. And that's what Daniel says here. The purpose of all of this, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. 
Then in verse 14, he gives us the word therefore. And that means that everything he just said is the reason for this verse. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous. He's right in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. Okay? Now, we notice in this that what God wants to happen is for discipline to come and for his children to turn to him in prayer that they might forsake the sin and that they might understand the ways of God. Okay? And because they didn't do that, they had to suffer more and probably suffer worse than they would have before. It's always best to turn to God quickly than to wait until it is done by force. Because it will happen if you're truly a child of God, but it's much better if it's done quickly and willingly instead of lengthening it out and then being forced to turn into it. Now, consider this. Here's our introduction here. God hates sin and is angry with sin and with sinners. Psalm 7, 11 says God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. And so it's not just the lost world that sins, however. God's own people sin, as we see as Daniel is praying here. And the discipline of God is not to punish the wicked. That's going to take place at the great white throne judgment and in eternity in hell. But discipline is for the children of God. Okay, And uh, you don't go across the street and spank your neighbor's kids, even though you might want to and even though they might need it. But you don't do that. You could get in a lot of trouble doing that. And uh, God, in the same way, He doesn't spank the devil's children. They reap what they sow. And that's just a law that is uh, here on earth during this time. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And that's most of what happens with the lost world. Their punishment is coming for eternity later on. Well, what about us? God disciplines his children. He loves us just the way we are. He accepts us because of what Christ did on the cross for us, but he is also teaching us, training us, disciplining us, correcting us, we might say, as we are going through uh, our life because we still sin. So, uh, let's see. The discipline of God means that we have a future. And what, what is that? If God didn't care, he would just leave you alone and just let you go and make a mess out of your life. But God has a future for his children and he wants you to finish well, as we uh, have often said, to finish well. He can't finish the way you are. He wants you to finish well, finish better. And so he works on us that we can do that. Now, number one, the Lord is correcting his errant children. That means we're wrong. He doesn't just do it willy-nilly. He doesn't just do it because he feels like it. He's not just 
messing around with you or toying with you or trying to make your life miserable. It's not a cat and mouse type game. God has a purpose in everything He does, a purpose in everything He gives you, a purpose in everything He takes from you, a purpose in every prayer that He answers and a purpose in every prayer that He would answer with the word no or the word wait. He knows exactly what he is doing. And Daniel says he's righteous, he's right, he's good, he's proper in everything that he does. We've got to learn to um, trust him. And so uh, we are the ones that are errant. He is always perfect in everything that he does. And you can read about that when you uh, look in uh, verse 13 and following there. And uh, why? Now, think about this. These are the bullet points. Because we are not perfected, we are constantly in need of correction. Constantly. And uh, we've got to be trained. We've got to learn. We've got to be able to think. We've got to be able to reason things out. We've got to be able to know what's good and bad, right or wrong. And the Word of God is what tells us that. That's why we've got to know the Word of God or we're going to make so many more mistakes that we wouldn't have to. And this is the purpose of Scripture. You remember 2 Timothy 3.16. We tend to emphasize all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But here's the next half of that verse. And is profitable, meaning all Scripture is profitable. By the way, read the genealogies. Paul says they're all profitable. You can learn something. You can be blessed by those. Some of the things you look at and you go, ah, that doesn't apply to me. No, it is all profitable. You need to know all of it. Old and New Testament, uh, everything in there. And it's profitable for what? Well, number one, for doctrine. We've got to know what we believe. Number two, for reproof. We've got to be confronted when we're wrong. Number three, for correction. That's what we're talking about for correction. We not only need to know what we did wrong, we need to know how to fix it, how to make it right. It doesn't do any good if somebody is working on something and all you can say to them is, well, that was wrong, well, that didn't work, well, that was a bad move. If they don't know how to fix it, what are they supposed to do? You know the old saying, practice makes perfect. Not really true if you keep practicing something wrong and all you do is build bad habits. Uh, good practice or perfect practice makes perfect, you know. Uh, how do we get there, though? Well, the Word of God is going to tell us not only where we're wrong, but how to correct what we're doing, and then... It gives instruction. What's the instruction for? So we can stay right. Not only that we can quit doing what's wrong, not only that we can figure out how to fix it, but also that we can maintain that, that we can stay right in what we are doing. And the discipline of God is given from love with the goal of correcting us. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons or children. My son, do not despise or take lightly or overlook the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. In other words, every time God corrects you, every time God brings discipline into your life, you're supposed to look at that 
First of all, seriously, because you're not supposed to despise it. And I know in our culture, despise means to intensely hate something. But the biblical term despise means to just, eh, no big deal. Just take it for granted. Ah, it's, it, I don't really need to know that. Kind of like when you're studying for a test in college and you're going through all of the things and a professor says, here's something that you don't really need to know. It's not on the test. You tend not to study that part. You tend to kind of forget that and move on. Well, that's what we do sometimes with the discipline of God. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't do that. Take it seriously. And then he also says, we are to take it as an act of love. God disciplines you because he loves you. And that should make you feel good. That should make you feel secure rather than frustrated on that. Okay, point number two talking about correction. The Lord can be as severe as necessary. Severe as necessary. Um, every child knows with their mother or their father by the tone of their voice when they mean business. I think it's uh, kind of a, a sad thing that we do that with our kids and everybody's done it to some degree uh, your kid is doing something and you tell them, go ahead and clean that up, it's, it's time for us to go. And they keep on playing. They keep on doing what they have been doing. And so about five minutes later you say, hey, I told you to get that cleaned up and get ready to go. It's time for us to go. Now get it cleaned up. And they just sit there and they keep playing with their toys and they don't do anything. And then finally you say something like this. You better listen to me right now. I am telling you, if you know what's good for you, you are going, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden they get up and they go. Because they've been trained by you that the first time you say it and the tone of voice that you use and whatever, you don't really mean it. You're not serious yet. And the second time you, you know, you said it and they heard you, but you don't really mean it. It's no big deal. You're not serious yet. And then that third time they go, okay, now, now, now he's serious. And for some parents, that means their kids never listen to them until they scream at them or until they say something really, really rude and insulting to them. And we train our children what they are to pay attention to. And that's kind of an unfortunate thing, isn't it? They should obey whether you yell or not, and you shouldn't have to yell. Uh, you ought to be able to just say it, and uh, they do it. That's a hard place to get to, isn't it? If it were easy, I'd write a book and make a few million dollars. But nonetheless, the point still remains. And uh, so what do you do? And uh, when you have a child that's particularly stubborn or strong-willed, Sometimes, because the way they kind of bow up against you and defy you, you have to be more harsh or severe than you really wanted to be. And uh, that's one of those things to where uh, when parenting is not always easy and uh, you love your child too much and you have to deal with them and you have to kind of fight fire with fire. Now, let me tell you, God is the same way. Um, we've already mentioned if we would repent sooner, quicker, earlier in things, we wouldn't have to go ne through near as much as we do. But when you um, start looking here at, at what Daniel says in verse 14, therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it 
upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And so that's what Israel was doing. All of those times they had warnings from Scripture and they had warnings from the prophets. And what did they say? They just kept playing with their toys. He doesn't really mean it. He's not serious yet. And then when he lowered the boom on them, as we say, and Nebuchadnezzar invaded, now all of a sudden it's time to get serious, but it's a little late, a little late in that. And that's the problem. He had warned them repeatedly, and they refused to honor their commitment to the covenant, and they failed to see that the Lord's ways are always right. You see, the only reason we disobey God is we think we're right. We think we have a better way. We think we can do things our way and get away with it when the truth of the matter is only the Lord is always right. You're going to reap what you sow. Number three, again, correction, remember, the Lord has a vested interest in his people. The Lord has a vested interest in his people. You're his child. The enemy knows it. You know it. And probably other people know it too. You go to church, you read your Bible, you live by a certain moral code. You don't use the Lord's name in vain and, you know, on and on we could go. People see because that makes you different than most of the people in this world, most of the people that you work with. And you're just being yourself and you're just living life and trying to honor God. But believe me, they can see the difference and they can hear the difference. They can tell the difference in all of this. And so as they are watching you, and maybe you've been really vocal about your faith, you've been really vocal about your commitment to the Lord, and maybe with some of the stuff going on, um, today the uh, House of Representatives is voting on the, uh, what they call it, Respect for Marriage Act. And basically that's going to be a desecration of biblical marriage because it is affirming and codifying same-sex marriage in all 50 states. Okay? Now, if you have made a big deal about marriage, and maybe you're talking to some of your co-workers or neighbors or family members, and you said, no, marriage is one man, one woman, bound together in a covenant relationship for life. And you talk about that, you've been vocal about that. And um, let's say that next month, they find out that you are having an extramarital affair. What is that going to do to your testimony? What is that going to say about your commitment to the Lord? What does that say about the faith that you have? And uh, it doesn't, doesn't look good, does it? Our hypocrisy, the egg on our face, the shame that we have when that happens, even in front of our family, especially when they find out about it, our children and uh, our spouse, those kind of things. It's a horrible thing. Well, that's what was happening with Israel. When they were taken out of their land, they had bragged for so many years, our God has given us this land. We're the chosen people of the one true and the living God. Now they're out of the land. Now their temple is destroyed. I mean, what kind of testimony is that about God and about them and about their faith and about their commitment to the Lord? 
And so the Lord has a vested interest in us and the reason he wants to correct us is so that we will be a good advertisement for him. A, a, a Christian that is backslidden and under the chastisement of God is not a very good advertisement or witness for God. You need to get saved so your life can be as miserable as mine. I mean, what kind of a, what kind of a story is that for us to tell to the nations? And so um, he says, And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. See, that's the high point and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. What did that do to the name that God had made for himself? Slandered it. I mean, you can do more to use the Lord's name in vain than just cuss with it, right? It's the way that we live. And so they had profaned his name, made his name profanity because of the judgment that came upon them because of their sin and their refusal to listen. And so uh, he made them, Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God, and it is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We're his people and the sheep of his pasture. So here's the God who made them, he delivered them, and he glorified himself through them, Isaiah 46, 13 says, I bring my righteousness near, it shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger and I will place salvation in Zion. And look at this, for Israel, my glory. So what had happened to the glory of the Lord that was being displayed through Israel that was supposed to be a light to the nations? Now they're a byword, now they're a profanity, now that they are, uh, they're looked upon as losers and their God is looked upon as a weak God, a powerless God. And uh, what kind of a testimony is that? Come worship my God. Really? The same God that couldn't keep you in the land? Ha, ha, ha. The same God that his own temple got destroyed? What kind of a God is that? And that's the way it is when you and I don't get serious about our walk with God. People can see our lack of joy. People can see our lack of purpose and our lack of focus. And they can see what God is doing to correct us. And it doesn't bring him the glory that he deserves. That ought to cause us right there to repent. Number four, the Lord finishes what he starts when he starts a correction, he doesn't quit midstream. He doesn't quit halfway through. He doesn't give up. He doesn't get exasperated. He finishes it. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 42 and 43 and you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give to your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves. And you shall loathe yourselves for all the evils that you have committed. What happened? He said, I'm putting you back in the land and then you're going to remember and grieve over your sin so that you don't do it again. Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper 
in the thing for which I sent it. What's the point of those verses? God doesn't just start something and then abandon it. God doesn't start something and then get frustrated and can't finish it. He always finishes what he starts. And what he is doing in your life and my life is training us, correcting us, disciplining us, and he's doing it that we might become like Christ. And he who hath begun a good work in you shall complete it in the day of Christ Jesus, right? And so these things are written in the Old Testament, Paul said, for our admonition, that word means a warning, for our warning that we wouldn't be like them. And so these people that suffered so much in the Old Testament, they went through all of that and it's recorded in Holy Scripture so that we could learn from it and we could be different and we could actually be better than they were. And God does the same things in our lives. So the conclusion, God doesn't give up. Praise His name for that. He finishes what He starts. The exile got the attention of Israel for the purpose of correcting them, not merely punishing them. And in the same way, Christ came to bear the punishment that we deserved but could never pay. And He did it so that He could fulfill the promise of Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So if you want to know how badly God hates sin, look at the manger. Why did God send his son into this world to suffer as he did? Because he hates sin so badly and he was going to defeat it through the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. But don't just look at the manger. Look at the cross. And on the cross, that's when Satan struck the heel of the seed of woman, which is Jesus. And that's where Jesus crushed his head with a mortal death-dealing blow. And that's really what Christmas is all about. When we think about this idea of discipline and we think about mercy and correction... That's why the angel sang, that's why the star came, and that's why, more importantly, the baby was born so that he could fix what had been broken by our sin and bring restoration and bring the glory back to his people. So be thankful this Christmas that God loves you and his love is proven by his discipline and his correction for you. And that, brothers and sisters, is a good, affirming, positive, securing thing. And that's the love of God. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you tuning in to watch this, whether you're keeping up with us in Sunday school or whether you are a teacher. Thank you for all that you do. As we wrap up this year, we've only got one Sunday school lesson left in this year. And uh, may the Lord bless you and may the Lord bless us in 2023 for his glory. God bless and thank you.